Unlock More to Life with Adrian Pinozo, Real Estate Investing Podcast, where we broadcast interviews with successful real estate investors across North America to empower you on your journey to unlocking more to life with real estate investing. Now, now here's your host, Adrian Pinozo. Hey everyone, it's Adrian Pinozo here with the More to Life Real Estate Investing Podcast, where we help you get more to life through the power of real estate investing. Um, believe it or not, everyone, we're on episode number 53. And wow, how time flies. I remember, you know, starting this uh, More to Life podcast about a year and almost a year and a half ago now. And uh, we have completed, well, 52, now our 53rd episode. So thank you uh, to all our listeners who continue to support us and leaving us reviews and comments and whatnot. We read everything we get, believe me. And uh, we're always trying to improve our content and have continued great speakers on board. That being said, I wanted to touch upon a couple of things we've been working on here at EPC. Um, kind of exciting. Uh, in the month of December, we uh, uh, got under contract. I know most people were considering or, or concentrating on Christmas shopping, but we were still out there buying stuff. And um, yeah, we managed to lock up uh, an 11 unit apartment building uh, out in Welland. Um, It'll be our first acquisition out in Welland, Ontario, and um, uh, a really solid purpose-built building. Um, we just uh, finished the appraisal and we, um, the lender wanted to see a phase one. So we're going through that right now, having that phase one environmental done. But yeah, I was kind of excited to finish off an incredible year we had um, with uh, a final 11 unit acquisition uh, out in Welland. So that was kind of exciting. Um, we're working on a couple, believe it or not, we're already uh, on to the next and we're working on a couple other uh, apartment building deals um, in the GTA. Uh, if you want to learn more about that, guys, or you want to know what we're working on in detail and maybe how you can get involved, please don't hesitate. Send me a message, email, whatever, and I can definitely share some of that with you. And before we get to our amazing guest today, I got one more thing to tell you. Um, EPC, I don't know if you've seen through our social media, we're launching a Lunch and Learn program uh, this year, this month, actually, uh, where we'll come out to your workplace, uh, your home, your, your work, office and whatnot, and uh, provide lunch, uh, hence the Lunch and Learn, but uh, yeah, provide lunch up to 10 people, friends, family, colleagues, work, work colleagues, um, and give you a free presentation on everything to do with multifamily real estate investing, completely free. We'll supply the lunch uh, up to 10 people uh, on that forefront. And, and yeah, just kind of educate you and your, your group on how multifamily can change your life and the successes and uh, everything surrounding that. So if you're interested in that as well, follow us on social media. Um, reach out to me. I can send you a link how to register for that. Completely free. Lunch is free on EPC. And yeah, we'll take it from there. So without further delay, I just wanted to get those kind of two quick things out there. But without further delay, 
I'm honored today to be joined by James Fernandez, who's been patiently waiting there for us to get going. <laughs> James, uh, thank you for taking the time to come on our show. And as usual, we're very excited to have you. So thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me, Adrian. I uh, appreciate um, you reaching out and I'm looking forward to talking to you today. Awesome. Um, you may recognize James from his appearances on the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast or his feature article on CBC News. <laughs> James started his very first rental property in February 2020, right at the start of COVID, when everybody thought the world was going to end. During that time, James was working as a full-time engineer and in his spare time, renovated that property, refinanced that property, and ultimately got hooked on real estate investing. Now, over two years, two years later, James runs his own business, left his full-time engineering job. He owns several properties in both Canada and the USA. Pardon the uh, fire engine driving by our building. It's a hint <laughs> of what's coming here. <laughs> <laughs> he owns several properties across the GTA and the USA for that matter. And lastly, his primary investing strategies, as we all know and love, especially me, the Burr strategy, Airbnb, and self-storage. So James, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Doing fantastic. Um, it's been a little bit of a climb out of that initial <laughs> uh, purchase in uh, February 2020, um, where the world was uh, kind of ending as far as we knew. Um, it was kind of silly at the time, I guess, but um, I didn't uh, know any better. So <laughs> it well, we'll get into it, but it sounds like obviously you've done well since then. And we'll, we'll kind of dive into that throughout the episode here. But um, I guess maybe we can start with, for everybody who's not really familiar with your story, um, we'd love to hear more, I guess, uh, how it started, um, what your mindset was, how it started, and essentially how it led to you leaving your career and where you are today. Sure. Yeah. Um, I've always been very good with my money in the sense of the, the traditional, you know, don't spend, don't overspend and save. And, you know, one day you'll retire 60 years later, that type of traditional mindset. That's how I was raised and uh, feared at and paid off and that type of stuff. I went with a friend very begrudgingly to the uh, Ontario real estate uh conference that was held in London in uh, 2019. And um, I, I didn't want to go, I didn't want to pay the $300 that, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't really think there'd be any value there. Um, but I went and my life was forever changed. So I, I really do appreciate my friend Daryl for bringing me there. Um, I learned about Airbnb there for the first time. And I realized like I, I was living in um, the place where I'm living in now, which is uh, just a, a bungalow, um, but two units that I, I converted it into two units. And most of the space was unused. And I was just, I got home from that conference and I was looking around and I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Ha more than half of the space is just wasted. I should be renting it out. And it just um, kind of coincided with uh, a friend of mine needing a place to live. Um, so she had the entire basement unit and I had the upstairs unit. And um, one of my goals at that time also also was to buy a Tesla Model 3, which um, 
it, it was not something I wanted to pay out of pocket. So in my head, the, the income from the real estate would pay for the car. And um, that was the goal. That was what I worked towards. And um, that's how it started. Uh, after, of course, learning, I, I looked back at my, my little notebook. Um, I, I, this one, my mom got me this, be a gold digger. <laughs> um, but flipping back through there, um, my notes from the conference now just look hilarious. Uh, what does Burr stand for? Um, like the ba like the most basic notes that I just scribbled down furiously as I heard heard all these people talk about this stuff that seemed like magic. And after I did my first refinance, um, and I was holding a check for like one hundred fifty thousand dollars, which at that time was about two years of salary for me. Um, my like how can you go back how can you uh unlearn <laughs> what is possible there so um then i got addicted to that and here we are uh, a few years later here almost three years now yeah so um how old are you now i'm 32 right now so you started i guess again pre-covid would have been mm -hmm. what you would have been what 29 yeah, like uh, I'll be 32 in April. So um, yeah, 28, 29. Yeah. Okay. So you're 29 years old, COVID hits, you decide you're going to get into real estate and start mm -hmm. investing. And from there, you never look back, obviously, and I've had some success, but that's how it originally started. Tell me about how you felt. Was it intimidating? Were you nervous to, to leave your nine to five? So I left my job in July of 2021. Um, at that point, I already had a decent sized portfolio and I was about to close on my 33 unit apartment building. Um, I just couldn't do it all and I had to choose. And uh, the, the kind of the path forward um, that I saw for myself uh, was clearly real estate in terms of income generation, as well as um, the time freedom that I wanted. I don't have kids right now, but that's something that I want in my future. And I figured um, my job is never going to give me more free time, um, but real estate could if I do this properly. And uh, that was basically where I made the decision um, to leave my job. And that was actually a really, really hard decision for me because it was a job that I loved. I was getting paid well. Um, it wasn't like some shitty job that I hated with shitty people and shitty bosses. It was, it was my dream job, you know, like something that I'd worked since I was 15 years old to achieve. And uh, it was, it was bittersweet leaving that, but I had to choose. And uh, yeah, definitely haven't looked back um, because of what we're able to do uh, with real estate. Um, but uh, it was a hard decision at the time. Very similar to me. I mean, my dream job ever since I was in junior kindergarten, I wanted to be a police officer and mm. it was my dream job. That's all I ever wanted to do since I was, you know, two feet tall, um, <laughs> so to speak. So I'm, I can definitely resonate with how that feels. Uh, and, you know, I like the way you said bittersweet because it was very, as much as you loved it, it was time to move on to something you know, potentially bigger and better and spread your wings and go. So I like the way you put that because I can 100% relate, been there, done that. Yeah. Um, but this this is not about me. This episode's about you. But I can <laughs> it's go all on. good. 
I could go on on that topic for another hour, just all the feelings I had when I made the decision. It, it, was, it was a hard decision for sure. And I, I can I can definitely see that you uh, resonate with that. 100%. So you start buying, uh, investing in properties, right? As COVID hit the world. Mm-hmm. How did you overcome when everybody thought, you know, that mindset challenge, everybody thought, are you crazy? You're going to buy real estate now. Meanwhile, that's when you, you got into it. it it's a simple that? answer. It's a simple answer and it's stupidity. <laughs> I just didn't have um, enough information to be scared. And I think um, at some point um, people have enough information that they can talk themselves out of anything. So it was, I, I had enough information at the time to see that I could make this work if I executed properly. And that was basically eliminating all the other variables so that the only variable was me to control. And if I could control myself, then the project would be successful. So an, an example of that um, was buying uh, cheap enough real estate that even if I messed everything up, so again, my, my variable, even if I messed everything up, I could still break even or suffer very few losses. Um, that was one example. And another is having a really strong team around me that I could bounce ideas off of or get comparables or um, have uh, refinancing lined up, like, like the exit kind of lined up um, ahead of time, multiple exits lined up ahead of time. So that again, I'm eliminating those uh, scary variables. And then again, the only variable comes down to, did I do my job? Um, and that was it. I bought a bunch of properties in 2020 um, with and without partners. Um, and basically just utilizing the Burr as fast as possible. Um, Scotia's product, a step, step product, um, again and again, um, did, yeah, did a bunch of, bunch of building in 2020. Well, why don't we touch on that before we get to the next topic? Tell us what your portfolio consists of now since 2020. Sure. Um, now, uh, my biggest asset is the 33 unit apartment building in London, Ontario. Um, there's several other properties in uh, London, Sarnia area and Chatham that are, consists of uh, like fourplexes, triplexes, duplexes, um, some townhome condos. Uh, and then outside of residential real estate, I also have some self-storage facilities in uh, Perry Sound um, near Ottawa, uh, like Martintown area, and in the States in Illinois. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at right now. Awesome. Wow. And you're 32. 32. Yes, sir. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Amazing. And you know, I always tell everybody it's the earlier, the sooner you get started, the better. I mean, from, for me, I bought my first property when I was 37. You're 32 and you've already done so much. That's incredible. Congratulations. But I'm, but I mean, like now we have so much access to information. We have so many mentors out there. We have so many people willing to help. Um, like I know some of my mentors, like one of them as an example, um, Matt McKeever, who I watched a lot of his videos and um, like learned as much as I could from from him and what he, whatever he was able to share. There was no one that taught him that stuff necessarily, right? So the pace of learning that we are able to to achieve because of 
uh, people like yourself making this podcast or producing content in general is just uh, the unfair advantage that we have now. So um, we can just absorb um, your mistakes and your successes uh, so that we don't have to make them ourselves, which takes years of time. So, Absolutely. <clears throat> All right. Awesome. I want to talk a little bit about your C CBC article feature. Mm -hmm. so how did you feel when CBC reached out to you to do a story on your journey in real estate investing, I guess, back in 2022? How did, like, yeah. tell me how that all came about. How did you feel about that, et cetera, et cetera? Sure. Yeah, it was actually very sneaky. Um, it was just an Instagram DM, like, oh, my God, this is really cool what you're doing. Um, we'd love to hear more about it. Uh, and I was like, all right, sure. Like, we can have a chat. Just give me a call. Um we had the phone call while I was at the gym. Like I it was completely off guard. I was like on the treadmill, <laughs> like huffing and puffing and uh, we, we chatted, but um, she's like, can I record it? And I was like, sure. Like whatever, that's fine. But it turns out that the entire article was based off of that casual conversation. So very frustrating. And um, the article itself, um, I think portrayed both myself and the, the opposing because they, I, again, didn't know that they were pitting me against this housing advocate. Um, they port I think that article portrayed both myself and that other lady in a kind of a negative light. Um, but if you listen to the audio clips on both sides, uh, it is like, initially when I read it, I was very angry at that housing advocate because I was like, you don't understand anything. What the hell are you talking about? You can't just give away this and do this. Like, that's not how the market works. But when I listen to what she's saying, she actually had some great ideas. Mm -hmm. um, and one of them was talking to people like yourself and myself and say the city becomes our tenant with a master lease and they become responsible for the damages, the arrears, everything and provide a solution. That's phenomenal. I do that all day long because it mitigates my risk. But it was frustrating to see the article. But again, um, in this case, uh, any publicity is good publicity. So I had a lot of people <laughs> reaching out, including um, just random people that just knew me um, that weren't involved in or didn't know I was in real estate. And uh, it, it helped me collect a lot of investors. <laughs> it, helped me, um, it helped me talk to my existing investors uh, about how um, effective this strategy is to improve their financial success as well. And Overall, it was a very positive uh, thing for my company, even though the article itself pissed me off. <laughs> right. So the article states that home ownership is out of reach for many people. Mm -hmm. However, you say that the neighbors on the blocks you buy houses at actually appreciate your transforming uh, near unlivable houses into mm -hmm. nice rental properties and at the same time raising the value of that neighborhood per se yeah it's, touch a little bit on that explain that a little bit sure yeah i have uh probably 20 examples i can give you of that exact scenario 20 neighborhoods that are have been positively affected like that um just in 2020 um let alone 2021 we can whatever figure out that mm -hmm. but uh, an example um and I'm going to call it appropriately what it was. It was a crack house, just disgusting. Um, the amount of needles that we pulled out of there, uh, I, I can't like help you picture it other than this way. It was like six grocery carts filled with like the, the stacking, the bins 
full of needles. It ended up being about 6,000 or so needles. This plumbing stack that we cut out and replaced was clogged of needles because it kept flushing them down the toilet. Our neighbors on either side, whenever they mowed the grass, um, needles would fly into the fence or into their belongings. Like it was just, that's the, the lifestyle of that house and, the, and the, unfortunately the people surrounding it. So when I took it over and was able to negotiate um, these people leaving, by the way, Sorry, London. City. London. London. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Most of my most of my crack house stories are in London, um, in general. Okay. But um, the that's just uh, that's just how bad it was before. It's a, that particular property has been in the newspaper for gunshots and stabbings and drug overdoses and like a hundred times. And um, my friends in the police force, when like I posted, hey, I bought this house, they reached out. They're like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> we know that house. We've been there. Like I basically lived there for a year camping out front. Um, and compared to what it is now, um, it's insane. Like there was a, like almost a, like a parade of neighbors coming by and dropping off food for the contractors and um, even like food for the, the current residents and stuff like that. Like, thank yeah. you so much. This is amazing. Like that's what people don't see. Um, people uh, like this who have, um, like kind of just this oh they're just gentrifying this neighborhood i, I mean to, according to the definition maybe um by taking something and kicking those people out and making it nicer so that other people will pay much more and live there um technically yeah but that house was gutted to the studs and the subfloor was removed like that's how bad it was it was empty empty bare and had to be redone um, because of the feces inside, the urine, the needles, mm -hmm. the rats, the cockroaches, the bed bugs. Like that's what people aren't seeing the right. amount of work that it takes to do. Awesome. So. And again, I can resonate with that because I've done the exact same thing. Um, dozens of times um, in all different neighborhoods here in the city of Hamilton, where we've, yeah, you, you want to have a shower when you come out of yeah. that house after. Oh, I had a change of clothes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's absolutely revolting and disgusting. So mm -hmm. I, again, I can relate to that. And that's mm -hmm. the value of the bird, right? At the end of the day, you're creating really nice spaces for people to live in. But at the same time, it's very beneficial for you too, because that bird, when you nail it, like it's very lucrative, obviously. So. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, you got to get paid for your work as well. Like there's, there's something um, to be said about that. Um, people have asked me multiple times, like, how could you do this? Like, how can you like go into places like this? And, and when I share the numbers with them and I say, well, this is my like share, this is my portion of that profit. If I paid you this money, would you walk inside that house? You probably would. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, like the struggle is real, as you know, like duct tape your pants to your boots and, and head in, <laughs> um, yeah. it's part of the game. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about now we're kind of segueing into the burr, um, as we touched upon it, let's kind of get into that a little bit more. How did you, and I'm, I'm going to assume it's through research, but I'll let you answer. How did you first discover the burr and start incorporating this strategy in your properties? So that conference that I went to, people kept mentioning Burr, Burr, Burr. And I was like, what the hell does this even stand for? Uh, and those YouTube videos um, that I was mentioning, Matt McKeever, Mike Rosehart, um, Bigger Pockets, uh, 
the, I stumbled across those and I watched them all. Um, I do something, I guess that maybe is kind of weird for most people, but it's normal for me now. I can speed, I speed up the, the playback on these videos so I can consume the videos a lot faster. Okay. And uh, that helps me like kind of consume that content and learn um, much quicker than um, I normally would be able to. So I was able to finish pretty much all the videos I could find that had burned the title. <laughs> and at that point I, I knew uh, in theory what I should be doing because I didn't even at that point, I didn't even understand like, do you just add another mortgage or like, how does the other, the first mortgage get paid off? Like I didn't, there was, there was no knowledge. I had nothing um, until those videos like helped me figure it out. And then um, at some point you just have to do it, right? Like there's, there's a tipping point of too much knowledge. And I think now there's a lot of people. Paralysis? Yeah. Yeah. You just get started. Like what book should I read next? Or what podcast should I listen to next? Cause I finished all these 500 podcasts. Um, it's like, no man, just, just shut the hell up and do it because you know more than any of us at this point in theory, but you have no practical experience and the practical experience is what gets you the, the light year uh, furthest than, than reading 10 books could do. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Amazing. Amazing. That's where I was kind of, um, you did that's where I, I, I started. Yeah. And that obviously it's evolved a lot since I started, but yeah, you did a lot of research on your own essentially. And mm-hmm give you that head start or I guess the confidence to, to leverage that and get going. So. The, the network is key though. Like being around people that are doing what you're doing. And like you mentioned the lunch and learn thing and um, at, at no cost, that's insane. Uh, the amount of value that people will get from that. Um, we, we had like London, luckily for, for me again, was a very big hub for real estate investors in general, young, hungry people that were just wanting more. Um, so there was like four meetups a month, maybe um, every now and then, uh, like maybe three to four meetups a month that you could attend in London and just be around people doing crazy stuff. Like um, hearing uh, Mike Rosart as an example, who's like, oh, I'm going to retire. I'm 24 years old or 25 years old. Um, Matt, I'm 30. I'm retired. Dylan, I'm 28. I'm retired. Like those weren't real numbers um, in my head. until I met these guys and talked to them and see what they're doing, you know, like, um, but then once just like that, uh, I think it's three minute mile or four minute mile, or I can't remember exactly. But as soon as someone realized like, that's a possible thing, like even teenagers and like high school students are running that time now, which was once believed to be considered absolutely impossible on the human, uh, capacity. So it's, it's really neat to just be around people that are doing that stuff. And then you realize it's possible for yourself and you give yourself permission to succeed in that. Amazing. So if you could do one thing differently, looking now, three years have gone by or so to where you started, if you could do one thing differently in your real estate journey, what do you think that would be and why? I, I feel like um, this answer you might get from pretty much everyone and it's by way more. <laughs> that's Why that's what I would do. To <laughs> yeah. It was um, like looking back at um, the 2020 prices and everything seems so expensive and I was being very cautious, especially with COVID and everything like that. But knowing like this is what's going to happen. And like if, if I was given that opportunity, um, yeah, it would be, it, there would be no hesitation. Um, there's a few deals that uh, like I could have bought my neighbor's house as an example for 
275, $300,000. And I was like nickel and diming her for like, I wanted it at 250 because that's where the numbers made sense uh, for me because I had to spend maybe 100 grand on the rental and conversion to a duplex. And um, then I passed on it and it's probably worth 700 now, like three years later. And uh, that examples like that, um, knowing what I know now and the timeline of what is to come <laughs> in 2020, um, I would have been much more aggressive. I can we got a lot in common, man, because <laughs> had I bought twice as much 11 years ago when I started, <laughs> I would really be sailing off to the sunset right now, sort of speak. <laughs> the purchase, imagine the purchase prices yeah. you know, uh, I was paying 11 years ago. Yeah. Like they've more than those purchase prices. Some in some areas have tripled now. To what I was paying 10 years ago. And I always say to investors, everybody out there knows somebody that has tripled their money on a property they bought 10, 15 years ago. Everybody mm -hmm. knows somebody that says, oh, he bought that for 400 and now it's worth 1.1 million. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows somebody that has something like that in real estate. Yeah. Everybody. So I always say to them, who do you know in your circle that has tripled their money on a property that they bought several years back? Mm -hmm. Think about it, right? Yeah. So that, that would be my like easy, uh, easy answer. Um, the like kind of maybe a, a harder answer to that question would be um, just forcing myself to go out and um, go to these networking events a little bit more. I, I don't typically like attending them. Um, I just, that's just how I am, <laughs> but, uh, going, going out and attending them more in general, because you just start seeing more and more and more of what's possible. Like my partner, uh, my wife, Petra is not involved in real estate investing at all. Um, but as she's attended, uh, more of these events and like seeing other women in real estate doing, um, various, uh, amazing things. Um, she starts thinking about it a little bit more and more and more. And like that, that's what I, it's just that, like that slow creep in that just slides in and then it's in your head and you can't get rid of it. Right. So um, it's addictive. Yeah. Well, that, that is the exact accurate word <laughs> where you're, you're up at night, just thinking about it nonstop. And that's how you know, you found something you really love. So Absolutely. it's, uh, it's awesome. All right, so let's segue into the Machete House. Yeah, <laughs> in your another London article, crack house, yeah. In your CBC article, you talk about your self-proclaimed Machete House. What exactly is this property? Yeah, so um, just a, like a kind of precursor to that, um, when I had first started in real estate, I had been bidding on houses uh, as regular, you know, on MLS and being overbid and just pissed off by getting losing all these i think i put in like 50 offers um and got overbid on every single one but i was bidding on the numbers not on emotion um versus at that point everyone was just like let's buy houses at any price necessary similar to early 2022 um but uh at that point i was just like you know screw this i'm not playing this game anymore i'm just gonna buy the shit no one else wants and see if i can make it work and that's how i found that first crack house and uh, then I just kind of, because of social media, I kind of got the, the reputation in that niche for fixing these shitty, shitty properties. So I kept buying them. Um, my first 
three properties pretty much for these crack house things that no one wanted. And um, I bought a few nicer things in between that just need a little bit of work. Um, but uh, basically that's how I started getting calls. Like, hey, there's this crack house over here. What do you think? There's crack house over here. What do you think? I was like, I'll buy it. I'll buy it because it's, it's, I know that system now. Like I know pretty much everything needs to be replaced. I know it's going to cost me X amount per square foot roughly. Um, and uh, I know my team's... Um, like I have the needle cleanup crew, I have the demo crew, I have these guys, I have these guys, and like they've worked with me enough that they know the drill. I standardized everything. So when it came to the um, machete house, I actually owned the property beside it as well. And I did not want to, um, in, in London, I'm, and maybe in your area is the same, but when you buy two properties beside each other under the same name, that the titles merge. And I did not want that to happen. So I bought it 50% uh, with my wife and uh, we weren't married at the time. We just got engaged. So I was like kind of jokingly saying like happy engagement present. Here's half a house. Um, it's a crack house, but nonetheless, you know, happy yeah. engagement. And then literally four days after we closed, um, there was an attack in that house. Um, some guy with a machete went in and like chopped up all the tenants. Um, no deaths or anything, but it was gruesome. And the, the newspaper article about it uh, was how I found out. Um, because people kept saying like, isn't this your property? Uh, yeah, and yeah. I found out from the freaking newspaper article saying like machete attack, whatever, London, Ontario, it was, it was insane. So I go over, um, to the property to check on the tenants and they had vacated it. Um, they took all their stuff and just left. And there, this is four days after closing and there's blood everywhere. It was disgusting. Um, so yeah, that's why it's called a machete house uh, um, because of this machete attack. And yes, I do have the machete. It was on site. And I also found a spear, which I've never even seen in real life before. But um, that's uh, every house of mine has some sort of nickname um, that the machete one, I think, is the most famous um, because of its uh, crazy events. But um, it's scheduled to be demolished very soon. <laughs> I can say you have one up on me. I've bought a lot of, pardon my French, I've bought a lot of shit um, and made it beautiful, but I can honestly say I've never had the experience of buying a machete house where people <laughs> are. I, my wife was horrified, I can tell you that. It yeah. was not what uh, what we were expecting at all. I, I can laugh about it now, but it was, it was very... Um, it was not a great experience at the time. Yeah, I can a little bit over, uh, definitely not a something maybe a novice investor should get involved in little intimidating yeah. at least, but yeah, I'm definitely sure not what day, was expected. I'm sure at the end of the day, you're going to do very well, uh, at the exit and whatnot on that. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's part of a landmassing deal, uh, to build, uh, like develop that, that, plot those two plots of land and build up so it, it should be uh, worth it in the end um just that short-term pain of course is something that uh our, as investors we're all too familiar with um -term especially like for, for long-term gain oh yeah like um every my my poor wife has had to hear me say this again and again um when i come home i'm super excited about this deal that i just locked up and i haven't i'm about to firm up on and um, my, my go-to sentence to her is, we're 
about to be very rich or very very poor <laughs> so just like we'll see how this goes and she's like oh well like good thing i'm still working <laughs> yeah good for you man um so we're coming to the end of our interview we try to keep it for that you know 40 minute 35 40 minute drive into no worries yeah and whatnot so i want to get um without going to overboard i want to get into um our closing topics here. And um, so the first one is, um, what is your why? Why do you do what you do? What's your why? Like, why are you doing this real estate investing thing and everything else that's coming, buying houses and all this (laughs) stuff in between? What's your why? That's a a great question. Um, Initially, it was... um, to have that financial freedom, not just for myself, but for my my family as well. Um, like I wanted to be able to have my mom retire early and that type of thing. Um, that kind of stage is, is set. At this point, it's more to ensure that um, my future growing family um, has the capacity to, to do what they want as well. Like I am a first generation immigrant in Canada. Um, I was born in uh, Mumbai, India, and came here when I was like, four or five years old. Um, so, like, I see the struggles that my my parents had, um, and I don't want my kids to have the same uh, struggles that they had or that I had. Um, but one thing that that so that's my why the, the generational wealth and and knowledge transfer. Um, but one thing that I'm still struggling with, and and I keep kind of interviewing my wealthy friends who have children is how do I teach those kids the value of money and work when they don't need money or to work? Um, So that's something that I still need to figure out. I don't have kids, Um, but it's something I think about a lot because uh, I've seen, I I went to school at the university of Waterloo and I've seen the uh, perils of having everything um, without having to work for it. And it's not pretty. So I would, I would be devastated if my kids turned out like that, like shitty, spoiled, yeah. useless kids. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so you're obviously very successful now relative to how the world views success. But do you think there is still more to life for you? And when you picture more to life, what do you see? So that that's uh, another really great question. Um, I have always wanted the time freedom, which I have now. It's like the middle of the day right now. We're just chatting on uh, on a computer. Um, I've always wanted that. But I guess the, the kind of next thing that I'd like to have is the location freedom as well. Um, I see a few of my friends that are spending several months at a time working from places like Thailand and Bali and Indonesia and um, anywhere really like uh, I, I would love to have that for myself and my family as well. Um, not quite at the stage where I can walk away like that in my businesses. It's still uh, like, I'm still needed. I'm, I don't have everything ironed out yet where I can just, you know, it's going to, it's going to do everything by itself. I'm not there yet. So that's kind of what my next few years look like is trying to stabilize everything, automate things, 
create my my systems processes and um, and people in the right seats to get that location freedom as well, so that I don't have to necessarily be in Canada uh, to attend that. Right, right. So geographical location freedom, work anywhere in this world and make $3 million a year per se. And I, you yeah. know, I think most of us real estate investors are really after those two things, you know, uh, financial freedom, time freedom, or actually three things, financial freedom, time freedom, and geographical freedom at mm -hmm. the end of the day. And if you can achieve those things, and it's definitely possible, I'm an advocate and I'm living proof it's possible to achieve those three things through the power of real estate investing. A hundred percent. I see the path forward and it's just a matter uh, of time that that goal is inevitable. Um, I, I strongly believe that it's, uh, it's just a matter of time. So Awesome. So if you could give one last piece of advice, one last parting word of advice to all of our listeners watching this episode or listening to this episode, what would that be? You said this is your 53rd episode. Um, so for anyone who's listening to this and has listened to the other 52 so far and has not bought anything or done anything, stop this episode right now and start doing some goddamn work. You are procrastinating your own success. You need to do stuff. You can't just listen and sit on the sidelines. Take action. Take action. Pull the trigger, right? Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Well, listen, James, it's been a pleasure having you on the Motor Life Real Estate Investing Podcast. I am very impressed at what you've been able to accomplish uh, all in <laughs> what, three years or so, and you're still so young. That's incredible. Uh, so everybody out there who's my age or close to my age or in their late 30s and whatever, and they're still procrastinating, take action because you're another example of living proof that real estate investing works. How do our listeners connect with you if they want to reach out to you, chat with you? Where, how do they, how do they go about doing that? Social media? What talk about your social media presence? Uh, how do they get a hold? Sure. Um, yeah. First of all, I, I really do appreciate that. Um, it, it really just comes down to um, having access to information like this. It it's so so helpful, and it allows that learning curve to just just go right. Um, the uh, way to access me best is through Instagram. Um, just DM me on Instagram. It's at james.ferenz. And um, my you just race through that. So oh, yeah, sorry. My, my first name, James, and then a period and then an abbreviation of my last name, F-E-R-N-Z. And uh, that's on Instagram. And uh, I have a website and uh, like Facebook and um, LinkedIn and TikTok and all of that other stuff. I don't know. My my VA handles all the all the socials, but uh, okay. Instagram's the best way to get a hold of me in the DMs, and um, uh, they can schedule a call with me through my Calendly link and that type of thing. So, awesome. Yeah. So everybody, reach out. I mean, here's a prime example of a guy who's accomplished a lot in such a short time and at a young age. Reach out. Send him a message. Connect with him. Um, maybe do business together. Who knows. Uh, for everybody listening who still hasn't reached out to me and wants to pick my brain about a project you're working on, what we have on the go, how you can get involved with us, shoot me an email, Adrian, A-D-R-I-A-N, at investwithepc.com. 
And yeah, even like we mentioned at the start of the show, our Lunch and Learn program that uh, is up and running now. More than happy to talk to you about that too, if you guys want to reach out um, and go from there. So on that note, James, enjoy the rest of your day. It's been a pleasure. I wish you continued success. Uh, Likewise. And again, such a young age. And um, (laughs) yeah, thanks again, pal. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Cheers.